right, good morning, everybody. We're here with Steve Parisi, IBC Global. Steve, how are you today? Great, Mike. How you doing? Good, good. I'm Mike Courtney, and we're here to talk about whole life insurance. We're here to talk about the power of cash accumulation. Today, in particular, I want to talk to you about something uh, very specific. Uh, worked on a couple of cases this week that were enforced policies, pretty significant premiums going into these policies. Dividends have come down a little bit over the last couple of years. No drastic drops, but we have seen small decreases to most mutual company dividends over the last couple of years, which is affecting policy performance. Um, we're in an environment right now where um, interest rates are historically low and the insurance companies are really having a hard time um, making the margin that they need to make. Uh, and we've seen a lot of changes, a lot of product changes, a lot of pricing changes. When you work with these clients, a lot of whom your clients are high net worth, they are very analytical. Um, they're not buying these policies as you know, term insurance, it's not a guaranteed UL solve, which is much more vanilla, bread and butter. Yeah. These policies have a lot of variables. How do you talk them through that upfront? Um, I've got a couple of follow-up questions, but what does that look like upfront and on the back end when you're doing your annual or, or quarterly reviews? Maybe yes. talk about that process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, that's, I'll call it setting expectations properly. And when you look at cash value life insurance, specifically whole life insurance, what I try and always make a point of emphasis is the actual performance is much different than the illustrated performance. They're going to be different. It's I've never seen a case where an illustration was presented and the policy did exactly what those non-guaranteed values produced. So when you look at actual performance on whole life insurance policies, what I have seen to be the case is specifically there's four companies that have consistently produced among the strongest cash values to policyholders, or at least I should say they have proof of it being your four major mutuals, Mass, Guardian, New York Life, and Northwestern. They put it out there. It's public information. You can find proof of concept. Here's real internal rates of return that have lived the test of time, very attractive. Not saying small companies don't, but we've seen it from those guys. Now, when you look at actual performance, those policies, what they actually produce, right? If a policy produced whatever internal rate of return, it illustrated something much different than that. May have been higher or lower at the time that the illustration was, was put in force. Um, but the point being is the actual results on a cash value life insurance policy will be different than the illustrated results. So when we set expectations or things that I like to look at is, you know, the policy, the cash value may produce X, Y, and Z if it's designed properly. And if it's with one of the top companies, we've got more of a sure bet that we know it's gonna fall somewhere in this range of performance. We're copying what big banks and corporations do. That's all we're doing. Um, but two, looking at the guarantees as well, is something that's valuable. Because if you look at the guarantees, uh, I mean, that shows an absolute worst case scenario environment. 
Can't get any worse than that if the company pays no dividends, if they charge the maximum rate they can for any term riders, fees, all that stuff. That's what those guaranteed values produce. And I do like showing those. <clears throat> and if you design a policy right, the guarantees even look good. We've got uh, several videos and a lot of content on structuring policies, looking at just the guaranteed values. And you still have break-even points between five and seven years. Guarantees. So if I show you as a consumer, here's your guaranteed cash value, worst, worst case scenario. Here's the non-guaranteed based off the dividend rate, but we're expecting that probably to come down for the next 10 years. Realistically, it's probably going to happen. Looking at the guarantees, now all of a sudden, okay, here's a worst case scenario. It's going to do better than that because those big four companies and a lot of smaller carriers as well have for over 150 years operated on a non-guaranteed table, non-guaranteed elements. We've never seen them actually produce the guaranteed values. It's always been better. And they probably will continue to do so. So I guess like my point is how I'll set expectations is show them what the values look like based off the present dividend scale, but also a conservative scale, guarantees, and then in the conversation or in our content, really let them know, hey, the illustration is going to show you this. However, in reality, probably not going to happen. But when you look at actual performance, right, it might show you a million dollars. Who's actually given a million dollars? Policies well designed with those larger carriers. We've got proof of performance. And when we set policies up for banks or corporations, which we do, they go with those guys as well because proof of concept. It's not just buying a policy based off the illustration that looks great and then it under delivers and then the consumers they're not ticked off with the company they're ticked off with you and me so we're going to prevent that up front right yeah what is it what, what is ongoing i mean i know this is different client to client but how does ongoing servicing look again you know to if you haven't tuned in to that's yeah. or aren't familiar with steve's um youtube videos number one Check Steve out on YouTube. There's some fantastic content. Um, search for Steve Parisi or IBC Global, and you'll find just an outstanding library of videos, very educational. Um, you know, clients different, every client's different, but what's your process, number one, for ongoing follow up and reviews? And how confusing or complicated does that get? when you're working with you know kind of a it's a more complex product yeah definitely so with our process to start there after anyone purchases a policy with us they have their primary agent in our office they have their contact info a lot of times they have my contact info too but after they purchase a policy we touch base with them on a minimum of every six months so we've got a client relations department where they will send them any and all information on their policy with whatever company they selected, death benefit, cash value, policy date, you know, all the basics and offer a review call slash review meeting, whether it's a phone call, Zoom call, in person, if we can ever do that again, with the individual and the agent. So we are, we're very big on that ongoing relationship. You've got to keep that intact just to keep an yeah, have to do that. Um, on the performance side of things, what I've always enjoyed is when we sold policies, 
six, seven years ago when dividend rates were around 7%, what did that illustration look like? And then the funding schedule stayed the same. It's an individual that actually said, hey, I'm going to pay in if it's 100 grand per year for seven years. They actually did that. And now today in that enforce illustration, what does that actual value show compared to what was originally illustrated with that higher dividend? And we'll track it every year. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd. I like digging into that. But what we'll, often, <laughs> what we'll often do is show the prospect too, hey, dividends have come down. Here's the actual net impact on your policy. Still performing at a high level, still broke even. You know, we still were cash on cash at year five, and then it's you know, strong guarantees moving forward. Look at the internal rates of return. But I make it a point to say, here's what it projected here's what it produced and we've actually created a lot of content on this none of this is is public but looking at historical policies whether they're policies we put in force for individuals or we got our hands on some older ones going back to the 70s and 80s to see all right the illustration is great but i want to know what actually happened like what was the net result at the end of the day don't give me all this hypothetical stuff um, so we'll do that with everyone too. So we keep in touch with the review calls, but then at the same time to track the performance, hey, here's what it's actually doing. And every year, especially if there's a dividend adjustment, you know, things change with the insurance company, our payments might adjust. Maybe I pay them less because I had a financial hardship or maybe I get a windfall and throw in more rather than just say, well, here's what we looked at 10 years ago. It's like, no, here's what's actually happening and let's project it moving forward. So review meetings, review calls on a regular basis, and tracking the performance, we'll, we'll do that too. That's smart because, you know, I, I feel like if, if you meet those types of ongoing concerns head on, number one, it's not as bad as, um, you know, if you don't have the meeting and the client is just left to kind of try to figure out what his or her questions are on their own yeah. or what's going on on their own, which probably just looks like here was my issue illustration. Here's what my policy looks like now. What the heck happened? Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's not as bad as, you know, if you just sit down with somebody and explain what's going on, explain where we have to go and what's going to be projected based on, you know, kind of new normal or whatever the new assumptions are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, still is a, is a really powerful scenario. If the first inkling of thought is this isn't working the way I thought it was going to, you know, you're always kind of scrambling to catch up and, you know, restore credibility. Yeah. And what's interesting too, and I've seen this consistent almost regardless of the company is when the policy is designed in a particular way, when, when we're, optimizing the cash value. I mean, that's what we do. Um, that actual performance, those net results are strong in, in any scenario. I mean, we've had a couple individuals where we put policies where, where mass for a while. So I, with mass mutual specifically, we use a lot of companies, but at one point they had, I think a 7.1% dividend for three years. They were crushing it and everybody else targeted them. How are they doing that? And they all do it to each other insurance carriers. But, <laughs> but putting illustrations together and you know, we sold them, individuals moved forward based off that dividend scale. Today it's 6.2%. 
And I love taking a, an individual that pumped in, one comes to mind, 130 per year for five years. And we looked at, okay, here's what was projected when he bought the thing. And he was going to break even year five based off that 7.1% dividend. He's five years into it. Now he's more than five years into it. What's he actually have? Breaking even year five. It was designed where we optimized it, you know, within the IRS limits, within the insurance company limits. And it's just interesting to me when you look at the actual design of a policy, if it's designed in a certain manner where you're juicing that cash value, typically it makes the conversation called for an agent much easier because you you maxed it out. No matter what happens, that internal rate of return is at among the highest level it can be. Right. Yeah. How's it going with um, bringing new agents on board? <laughs> That's, that's um, you know, part of a, it's always a challenge for me. And I think the biggest problem is it's a little bit of, how can I put it? For lack of a better word, stubbornness on my, on my end, um, where I do like working with people locally. So we've grown, we're close to 30, 30 employees on site here. And when I say employees, our in-house agents and then our staff that supports everything. Um, but those that had, have had the most success with us have been agents on site, where if they need help, accountability, everything, all the resources are live, physically there. And even during COVID, as things kind of loosened up, you know, what used to be the red phase, we'll rotate people coming into the office and they've got that support, which is valuable. And we have a ton of interest that people want to work with us all the time that live out of state. And I guess where I'm hesitant with it is I tried that several years ago and we really struggled with it. And, and you were, you kind of saw that too, right? Because we, I would correspond with you, we'd have different brokers and such. And yeah, it could just be, you know, lack of accountability, a number of reasons. Um, uh, a mentor of us both was talking about that when I was talking to him yesterday. It's just, I forget the saying he used, like lack of sight, lack, something. You can't see them or they can't see you. There's not that same accountability. But, you know, with the technology and everything we've built in, we are exploring the idea of bringing on agents, you know, if they go through our qualification process and they're a fit, that can potentially work remotely. We are looking at that. And that'll, that'll solve our problem where we can get agents on quickly. I've just, we as a company need to be comfortable with it, not, not just me. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Right. Well, and it doesn't help that, you know, you have, it's not like it's a, it's waters you haven't your toe into. You have had, you know, more than a handful of trying or unsuccessful experiences. Um, and, you know, have been much more successful with people in-house under your roof. Yeah. You every day with the training and the, you know. Mm -hmm. Could be a, a number of things. Yeah. And I remember talking to you a little bit before this. Like, I never, ever thought that I would have a problem where you've got too much activity and you're trying to get back to people fast enough. It's a it's a great problem. But at the same time, it's like you got to you got to get back to the it's individual. It's still a problem. It's something you got to solve. Yeah. Think, like here's how I think of it. I'm like, okay, we've got this problem. If if we're going to function like Amazon, right? If you buy something from Amazon and they tell you you're going to get it tomorrow and you get it next week, eh, you're not that happy. <laughs> it's like you told me tomorrow. So I'm like, all right, consumer experience. Amazon's great at that. How do we do the same thing? Like, all right, we got to get more manpower in here, but we got to do it right. They've got to be aligned with the company mission, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. And it's not as simple as just convincing the clients to lower expectations. No, and... don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and there's times like I'll you buckle down there with a couple of our, our experienced agents or, or senior staff members and say, okay, let's just crank out, you know, these cases or, or the numbers so we can get the service work out faster. And I, I love that. I mean, design and policies and, and going through the nitty gritty stuff, that, that's that's my, my nature, first nature, and the second nature is everything else we've learned. So I enjoy it, but yeah, the manpower, we've continued to add more support staff, um, but the agents, we've, we've got a couple people in the pipeline, but we may open it up to outside agents. When I say outside, people outside of our territory. Right, right. All right, well, good luck with that. Um, have a good rest of the week, and then we'll be back to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. All right, thanks, Bye. Steve. Mm -hmm. Bye.